On The Breakfast Show, Bible study time, 20 million movement time, 20 million people all studying the same passage of the Bible at the same time together. A couple of text messages that have come through dealing with issues that we spoke about earlier in the show. Let's go there and have a look and see what they have to say. So this one here is dementia. Mm -hmm. Are you guys really worried about getting old and getting the sickness? Uh, I hope not. This is this is this is from somebody older than us, I should say. <laughs> yeah. uh, don't you think Jesus will be, will be back way before that? Hey man, I hope yeah, so. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Remember mad mad cow disease? It was caused by meat eating. Uh, meat production has hugely increased. Australia's number one. Australia, uh, sorry, America number one. Australia number two. Argentina number three. It took 20 years before the effects were seen. I wonder about the report's correctness. After all, I wonder who gave them the grant to do the research. So mad cow disease here, um, just a definition. Humans may acquire the disorder by eating diseased meat products. When it comes from cattle, the disorder is called Creutzfeldt-Jakob disease. CJD ultimately leads to dementia and death. But there... and finally says the condition is rare, but dementia is not rare. Yeah, that's so how much of that is actually. That's my point. A is very that... mild form of mad cow disease. I don't know. I'm not a doctor. I do not know the answer to that question. But you know, when you look at who who funds research, mm. you know, that's a very there's so much corruption in research. Mm. Whatever, <laughs> and especially when it's a health topic as well. That's right. Mm. Hectic. Family Friendly School Act is not what most of us would call friendly to the family just another act to destroy the family. The sad thing is that they know exactly what they're doing and their demonic act is being noted above. It's a crazy world that we live in. Mm. All right, so a couple of good text messages coming through there. Of course, uh, the Family Friendly School Act, whatever it was called, uh, if you missed that story, was a Kamala Harris bill to increase the school hours to 10 hours and combines with Joe Biden's bill to... Uh, create an extra two years of kindergarten, below kindergarten, so mm. pre-kindy, uh, starting at two and three years old, mm. getting to school at that age. Uh, we know what happens when children are removed from their parents. It's called the stolen generation. We've got a great example of it here in Australia. Why do we need to look any further? Mm. You know, this is this is just a repeat of the stolen generation right here. Mm. And the same thing will result again. You take kids from their parents, this is what happens. Yep. Oh, also have to remind people, Lyle, yes. what's happening tonight? The end of time. <clears throat> oh, uh, okay. Uh, well, tonight, then I, I de- 8 o'clock, 8 o'clock, <laughs> 8 o'clock tonight is the end of time. Man, I definitely won't develop dementia before then. <laughs> <laughs> 8 o'clock this evening is the end of time, and if you want to find out about the end of time, you're going to have to go to theend.digital, mm. where we will be... Uh, looking at the concept of the end of time. Yes. Oh, this is going to be so awesome. It I'm so is, excited. I'm, we did a dry run with it last night. Um, I've got some amazing stuff that uh, I'm going to be presenting, some research that I've never presented before. Wow. It's going to be just, yeah, I'm super Intense. excited. And Charissa Tarosian, last night when we were doing our dry run, we were doing a, a practice run just to make sure all the tech, work, tech worked. She was just absolutely smashing we get her on radio occasionally we do and she's just like a blessing every single time she's such a every time i've heard her talk i've just been blown away so yes praise the lord how long does the program go for for is it eight or nine minutes oh 45 so you guys are so it's in three sections of 15 minutes Mm. 
15 minute presentation, 15 minute uh, Bible study, 15 minute Q and A. It's live, so you should just get on there and just send your questions through. Oh, the end dot digital. Just go to the end yep. digital eight o'clock. Set your alarm. Send your questions through. Um, I'll pass all the hard ones to Sharissa. <laughs> All my questions. All of Lawson's I'll questions. I'll address them to you too. Dear Lyle. All of Lawson's I'll, questions. Going you know what? I'll, I'll enlist my friends as well to just bombard I you. Know you with I know you will. I know you will. All right. I'm so keen. Okay. Lyle. Yes. Bible, Bible study time. Let's mm-hmm. go to Luke chapter 22. And before, while we're turning there, actually, don't turn. Thank you. Thank you. Just, hands just, off the Bible. Hands off the Bible. <laughs> Let's think about, let me ask you this question. Uh, what are some of the most significant times that Jesus spent with his disciples? Mm. Like the group of them together, discipling them. Where, where it was like huge for their faith experience. Yes. I would say... Their personal growth. Um, a couple come to mind. Maybe the Transfiguration on the Mount. Definitely. With, um, Peter, James, and John. Yes. Like that would be pretty massive. Uh Peter walking on water, like when they're all in the boat, Ooh, and it's like one. Jesus comes a uh-huh. storm. Uh-huh. Uh, maybe, probably the like Matthew twenty four account. Okay, so the, the the second sermon, the second big yeah, sermon you the have in the second Bible. Big the first sermon. one, of course, is the Sermon on the Mount, because um, the second big one was directed specifically to the disciples. Yes, because they because he's talking to the Pharisees and he's like, the world's going to fall apart. All of you are terrible. Um, and then they're like, oh, when are these things going to happen? And he, de- and he specifically addresses the disciples That's to be right. like, yes. okay, this is what it's going to look like when, when the end is coming, you know? Uh-huh. Um, it probably like. Someone's texted Sue with a really good suggestion right here. Mm. The upper room. Ooh, yes. Oh, of course. When they're doing the communion. Yes. Yeah, wow. That's exactly, that's exactly where we're going to go. But they also text through to say, can't wait till tonight's presentation of the N.Dizzle. You! With Let's three go. smiley faces. Oh, three smiley faces right there. Oh, look at them. They're so, they're stoked. Three. <laughs> All right, we're going to go, we're going to talk about the upper room. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, I guess it just says the upper room here, and there was a couple of upper room experiences, wasn't there? Yeah. One before the crucifixion and one after. Mm. We're going to talk about the one before. Mm. Both of them very significant. Mm-hmm. We're going to talk about the one before. And we're going to learn some lessons here because we're talking about contentedness. Yes. Today we're going to talk about ambition. Mm. All right. So let's start. Uh, where are we? Let's read mm, chapter 22, verse 14. Mm-hmm. Through verse see here. Yeah, let's read through verse 16. 14, 15, 16. We'll start there. Okay, in verse 14, the Bible says, When the time came, Jesus and the apostles sat down together at the table. Jesus And Jesus said, I have been very eager to eat this Passover meal with you before my suffering begins. For I tell you now that I won't eat this meal again until its morning, uh, until its meaning is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. Okay. That's an interesting passage. Mm -hmm. When Jesus makes that statement right there, I don't know about you, but if I was there, I would get the impression that what was about to take place was... You're listening to Faith FM, positively different radio. You know, I'd have that feeling that this was going to be something of Mm. tremendous importance. Yeah, wow. This was not like anything they had ever done as a group together in the past. Yes. 
this was going to be special and Jesus was going to have a special message for them. And so my ears would be very attuned to what Jesus would have to say. That's kind of how I feel about this. And particularly because Jesus knew what was about to happen. And, you know, if you know what's about to happen and that you're about to face the cross, that's not the kind of thing that you can hide. Yeah. You know, you can try and hide it, but it's going to be clear that there is a tremendous burden on your heart. Mm. It's going to be hard. And he literally, he vocalizes it. He says it. He communicates that to them. He's like, my suffering is about to begin. Yes. All right. So, and then he makes this statement here. Um, I say unto you, I will not eat. I, I will not. I will not any more eat of this until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. Mm. In other words, I'm not going to eat the Passover. I'm not going to, you know, drink the Passover wine or grape juice. I'm not going to have either of those two things. I'm not going to have this until we do it together in the kingdom of God. Mm. When Jesus comes back, now that's not too far away. We're going to talk about that this evening on the end digital. Uh, the Bible is very clear about that. It's just amazing where we are right now, and things being fulfilled that we never even imagined could be fulfilled, but are actually happening. Mm. Anyway, it continues on in verse seventeen and eighteen. And the Bible reads in verse 17, it says, Then he took a cup of wine and gave it thanks, and gave thanks to God for it. Then he said, Take this and share it among yourselves, for I will drink not wine again until the kingdom of God has come. Okay. Uh, once again, in the previous passages, I'm not going to eat of this until we do it again, you and my father's kingdom. Mm. And here he continues on and he says, I'm not going to even drink grim Jake. I'm not even going to drink grape juice. Mm. And so this is a great symbol right here that Jesus has given to us every time we have the communion service. Mm. And the Bible doesn't say how often you should have the communion service. Yes. Some churches do it every day. Some churches do it once a week. Some churches do it once a quarter. Some churches do it once a year. The Bible doesn't say, but the Bible does say, that whenever you do it, do it in remembrance of mm. Jesus. Mm. And typically when we have the communion service, what we do is we have the communion service in remembrance of what Jesus did on the cross. Yes. Jesus says here, do it in remembrance of my of the promise of my return. Wow. That's a different view of the communion, isn't it? Mm. And uh, when we do it in remembrance of what Jesus did on the cross, it does tend to be a fairly solemn service. Yeah. Oh, dude, every time. The cross was not a fun thing. <laughs> no. This is a serious and a solemn service, but it should always end with the promise of the return of Christ mm. and with deep joy that Jesus has died for us and that he is coming back. Yes. The gospel is only half spoken when we talk about the cross. Mm. The return is just as much a part of the gospel as is the cross. Because without the return of Jesus Christ, the Bible says, you know, we are all men most... Most pitiable. Pitiable. Yeah, I preached because, about that two weeks ago. Oh, okay, there yeah, you go. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> we are all, we, we, Of all men, we are most pitiable because we have no hope. We have yes. no future. It's mm. all over. It's all done. Mm. And so both of these together go together to make up 
the gospel message and that's the message that God has. And it just breaks my heart today where you find some mainline Protestant churches that just don't preach the return of Christ anymore. Mm. It's just not on their radar. They preach about forgiveness and grace and the cross of Jesus and what Jesus did for us on the cross and they never mention the return of Jesus Christ. Whenever we mention the cross, we should always remember to mention the return of Jesus and the promises of his return as well because they are just as much a part of the gospel message. Yeah, the cross had a purpose. Yes. That was outside of, you know, God just proving that he loved us, which is the unfortunate view that a lot of people have. Like, oh, yeah, Yeah. God loved us. You would die for it. No, it's like God did this for something. So that we could live with him for eternity. Yeah, it's amazing. Mm. Mm. Absolutely. Okay, where (laughs) are we up to? We're going to keep reading? Yes, let's keep Uh, reading. In verse 19, the Bible says, He took some of the bread and gave thanks to God for it. Then he broke it in pieces and gave it to his disciples, saying, This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And verse 20? And verse 20, the Bible says, After supper, he took another cup of wine and said, This cup is the new covenant between God and his people, and a an agreement confirmed with my blood, which is poured out as a sacrifice for you. Okay, think about the disciples at this particular point. Mm. When Jesus says, this is my body which is broken for you, and this is my blood which is poured out for you, Mm. what meaning does that have to the disciples Um, at this point? Well, at this point, like Jesus has been trying to communicate what it means. He's been trying to tell them. But they don't really get it. They don't get it at all. They've got no idea what he's talking about. Because all they want is like they're expecting him. It's like, okay, when's it going to happen? When's he going to pick up a sword? You know, he talks about I'm going to I'm going to you know drink this new with you in my father's kingdom. Mm. I'm not going to touch it again until then. And they're like, great, next week. Yeah, when you when you pick up a sword and drive out and the Romans, chop up all the Romans, bro. Like this is where their heads are at. Yeah, their heads are so far removed from what Jesus is about to do. Mm. And this is the tragedy of what is happening here. Jesus is instituting the most meaningful service and they have no idea of the meaning. Mm. It's going to dawn on them later, but at this particular point they've got no idea. Okay, why don't you hold your thoughts there while we go over to the Gospel of John. And we're going to read John's account because he gives some details Uh, This is in chapter 13. He's going to give us some details that you don't find in Luke's account. Mm. And so this way we can get a full picture together of what is taking place here in this upper room because it's going to really help us to understand what this Bible study is all about today. Okay, so let's go to John chapter 13, um, and we'll start in verse 3 to 5. The Bible says in John chapter 13, 3 to 5, Jesus knew that the Father had given him authority over everything and that he had come from God and he would return to God. So he got up from the table, took off his robe, wrapped a towel around his waist, poured water into a basin, and then began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with a towel he had around him. Okay, so what is Jesus doing here? Washing their feet. Why is that odd? Because... Like, he is their rabbi. He is, like, the king of the universe. He's, like, the son of God. He's, like, an important person. Why would he wash their feet in the first place? Um, well, because they're dirty. Okay, so let's put a few things into context right here. In the Middle East, first of all, the foot is the most disgusting part of the human body. Mm. Um, altogether. 
it um, it's it's the most insulting part of the of the body, and this is why you will typically see, you know, carvings and stone reliefs of kings who have conquered other kings, and they have their foot on the other king mm. because there is nothing more insulting. That's like in. 2008 or something, or 2007, when that guy threw a shoe at George W. Bush. Yes, and we all laughed. Yeah, but to them it was like the greatest insult of this all time. This was so much worse than the finger. Yeah, wow. You know, so much beyond that because it came off of his foot. Yeah. And uh, to the Western world, we completely missed what it was all about and just like, he threw his shoe, that's hilarious. Why didn't he throw a gun? <laughs> <laughs> Something else, um, but yeah, we didn't. We just sort of didn't see the the symbolism of what was happening there. Mm. But you know, you show somebody the bottom of your foot, the sole of your foot in the Middle East. You sit with your with the soles of your feet exposed in the Middle East, and it can be the equivalent of you know giving somebody the finger. Yeah, wow. Well. And and so this is now. There's reason for that. If you look at the ancient cities, what you'll find is that the streets have footpaths, and the footpaths are around about, um, you know, first century city, Pompeii is a good one to look at because it's still been preserved, but the sidewalks are probably about 300 millimetres above the level of the street. Mm -hmm. And then in the street there are stepping stones at the intersection so that you can step across the street without actually stepping into the street. Mm. The reason being is that this is an agrarian society, uh, the primary means of transport is animals, and the street was actually the sewer. Yeah. Whenever you approached a city of any size, you could smell it from before you could see it. Mm. Ancient cities could be smelled before they could be seen. That's pretty gross. And your feet came in contact with that all day long. You're listening to The Breakfast Show Podcast on Faith FM. Positively different. Okay, where did we get up to? We were we were in John chapter 13 and we were reading about the foot washing and the necessity for foot washing. Mm. And so we were talking about how feet would become incredibly dirty mm. and incredibly filthy and smelly and that wasn't just the normal process of sweat. That was actually what the feet were walking in on a daily basis. And in the first century in the Middle East, uh, the typical footwear was sandals. Mm. And so, yeah, you'd be, your feet would be coming in contact with all this kind of stuff and you just didn't go into people's homes without washing your feet or having yeah. your feet washed, I should say. Mm. It just wasn't polite. It wasn't nice. You know, it's a little bit like if you know, you're, you're working on a dairy farm and you decide to walk into the house with your gumboots on. Yeah. We wouldn't do that in today's society, and they didn't do that back then. But, of course, they couldn't just take their gumboots off and leave them by the door, and so they would... Wash their feet. Mm. And the way that worked was the lowest form of vegetable matter in the house was the person whose responsibility it was to wash the feet. Mm. So this would either be the youngest person or um, the servant, the the slave, whoever. Mm. um, That was their job to wash the feet. And you could always tell your rank by the person who came around with a bowl of water and washed the feet. It's like, okay, this one is the the bottom of the pack. Mm. Who is it who washes feet here? Jesus. Jesus comes round and Jesus starts to wash their feet. And who is Jesus in relationship to the pack? He is their teacher. He's the alpha. But also, like, what he's been communicating to them, particularly in the book of John, it's like, he is the son of God. That's right. Absolutely. <laughs> like, they know this by this uh-huh. point. They uh-huh. understand. It's like, oh, like, and by son of God, we mean God. 
That's like, right. He's literally he God. The, he is the great I He has proclaimed himself in chapter 8 as the great I am. Yeah. And then he's like, oh, wash your feet. And they're just like, and you see their reaction following this. They're just absolutely going out of their minds. Like, this is, this is weird. This is not okay. Very, very, very much so. Okay, so um, as we continue on in this passage, we're going to find that they do tend to lose their minds, and they're all sort of sitting there like, "Oh, this is, this is really, this is, this is, this is very awkward." Mm. And it comes down to Peter, and of course, he's the one who always has something to say. And verse six uh, through ten. Yeah, when Jesus came to Simon Peter, Peter said to him, "Lord, are you going to wash my feet?" Jesus replied, you don't understand now what I'm doing, but someday you will. No, Peter protested, you will never, ever wash my feet. Jesus replied, unless I wash you, you won't belong to me. (laughs) Simon Peter exclaimed, then wash my hands and head also, Lord, not just my feet. Jesus replied, a person who has bathed all, all over does not need to wash, except for the feet, to be entirely clean. And you, disciples, are clean, but not all of you. Interesting story. Peter is like, you're never watching my feet. Nope. And then Jesus You're is- the ruler of the universe. You're not <laughs> touching my feet. And Jesus is like, well, you can't have anything to do with me unless I do. And he's like, okay, take the bucket, pour it over my head. I'll <laughs> just I'll just jump in. I'll, I'll you know. <laughs> This is like okay. such a child. We were talking oh, about this the other we were talking about this the other day. Uh, who was the example we were giving? There was this it was the people of Israel, right? They were just like flip flop. They weren't taking any of God's um, opportunities. They, they're like, oh, God's like going to the promised land. They're like, no. Okay, stay in the wilderness. No. It's like Peter is exactly the same. He's just such yes. a child, like so immature. Oh, it's so funny. I'm so glad these stories are in the Bible. <laughs> yeah. They can help us to understand our immaturity at times when, oh, we, be- 100%. when we become immature. Yep. Um, anyway, let's go to chapter twenty-two and uh, back where we were. So this is the this is the picture we have. Jesus is this is serious. Mm. Jesus has just washed all of their feet. That's just blowing their minds. Mm. Then he has the communion service in which he says, "You know, this is my body and this is my blood, and this is symbolic of my suffering, and this is a promise of my coming kingdom." Mm. All of that goes together to create confusion. Why would the ruler of the universe wash their feet? Why would Jesus say this is my body and my blood when he's about to set up a kingdom on earth? Mm. Why would he say I'm not going to touch this until I establish it new with you, you know, in my in my father's kingdom? All of this is just confusing for the disciples. But it's obviously something of tremendous importance and a lesson that God wants them to learn. And in washing their feet, the whole lesson there, if you take time to read John chapter 13, is all a a lesson about humility and putting others first. You know, Mm. the first shall be last and the last shall be first. Jesus is actually demonstrating that in an object lesson when he washes their feet. Yeah. Okay, so how, how much of this is getting through to the disciples, do you think? Um, well, be, oh, especially, let's, let's read, let's read here. Let's read what it says. Uh, verse 21, 22. Did we read these ones already? No, not yet. All right. Read those. But here at this table, sitting among us as a friend is a man who will betray me for it has been determined that the son of man must die. But what sorrow awaits the one who betrays him? Okay. That's pretty heavy right there. Mm. Now read verse 23 and 24. 
The disciples began to ask each other which of them would do such a thing. Then they began to argue amongst themselves which would be the greatest among them. Okay, so here, here we've got this situation where Jesus has gone around and washed all of their feet and showed them an object lesson of, I am the greatest because I am. Mm. And as the greatest, I am the greatest servant. Mm. And they're like, okay, that's a great object lesson. Let's now talk about how we can be greater than everybody else. <laughs> Yo. <laughs> I kind of missed so it, didn't funny. they? I kind of yeah. missed it. Mm. Yeah. Um, it could also be a response to the fact that Jesus has just said he's going to die and he's the greatest. And so they're thinking like, oh, who's going to replace him? Somebody, somebody, Raphael, texting through here, the foot washing ceremony. If there is anyone who is proud, this will fix the problem. That is when you realize that God did it for you. Mm. Um, and so what we've got here is an example of ambition. Mm. And just to kind of summarize this whole Bible study, we talked about the wealthiest person is the person who is content. Mm. Ambition will destroy contentment. Yes. And it was destroying it amongst the disciples right here. It was ambition that drove Judas to betray Jesus Christ, even though Jesus knew what he was about to do. Mm. Ambition will destroy our content. It will destroy our relationship with God. We need to strive to, to live to God's glory, which is different from straight ambition. You're listening to The Breakfast Show Podcast on Faith FM, positively different. Question of the day. Okay, well, our question today has something essentially is to do with the intertestamental period. Essentially, the period of time between the Old Testament and the New Testament. What's what's going on there? Okay, so there's a bunch of history that takes place in the intertestamental period. It's about a 400-year period. Mm. It's often referred to the silent period because there were no prophets who lived during that period and wrote or spoke on God's behalf. Uh, John the Baptist is the next one to come along after Malachi. And so to give a, uh, I, I guess, a brief rundown of what is happening during this time period, first of all, the Jewish people, uh, because they're Jewish rather than Israelite, are under Persian rule. And the Persians, had they had great relationships with the Persians. They had, you know, there was Daniel, there was Mordecai that were uh, Persian prime ministers. There was Esther that was a Persian queen, you know, and the, and the list goes on. There was, there was a lot of good relationships between the two and the Persians gave them great liberty and freedom, particularly freedom of conscience and freedom to worship. Alexander the Great, of course, conquered the Persian Empire, and when he was on his march through Palestine, he called on the city of Jerusalem to transfer their allegiance from Persia to uh, to the Greeks, and the and and the and the Jews said, "Well, the Persians have been really good to us. We kind of can't." And so, as he expected, that he would destroy the city like he had, you know, every other city. But instead, he went into the city with just a small group of men and worshipped in the temple. Mm. And the reason that he did that was because the high priest came to him and showed him the prophecies of the book of Daniel saying that the Greeks would be the next ones after the Persians to rule the world. And so he's like, okay, I'm, I'm not going to destroy the city. You can maintain your allegiance with Persia. I will honor your God and worship in your temple. It was Alexander's opportunity to give his life to God. After Alexander died, of course, his empire was divided up. And the two parts of the empire that really affected what was happening in, in Palestine or in uh, Israel were, were the Seleucids and the Ptolemies, primarily the Seleucids who ruled the uh, Syrian empire, Greek empire. And there was uh, 
a whole list of kings that were either known as being Seleucus or Antiochus. Mm. Now, when you come down to Antiochus Epiphanes, he was, of course, the person who blasphemed the temple and sacrificed a pig on the altar and killed a bunch of priests, did a lot of uh, terrible atrocities there, and that triggered what was called the Maccabean Revolt. Mm. So the Maccabees revolted. It was initially somewhat of an insurgency. It grew into all-out revolt. They threw off the Seleucid Empire, established you know, their own independence, uh, re-established the worship of God in the temple uh, there until they were then conquered by Pompey the Great. Now, when they were conquered by Pompey the Great, this, of course, was at the end of the Roman Republic, towards the beginning of the Roman Empire. And so Jerusalem came under Roman rule where the Herods took over, and that takes us down to uh, the time of John the Baptist and Jesus. So that's what's happening in, a, in the political sense. In the spiritual sense, you've got the development of a number of different groups, primarily the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Big difference between the two is that the Pharisees take everything in the Bible plus everything in the commentaries, plus all their traditions and extra laws. Mm. The Sadducees would take just the writings of Moses, the Torah, that's it. Mm. The Sadducees were Hellenized Jews, so they were you know, the equi- equivalent of, you know, say, westernized, I don't know, Asians here in Australia. They were, they were very Hellenized or Greek at that time, whereas the Pharisees were very Jewish in their approach. You also had the Essenes, who were kind of monastic, and the Zealots, which were your local terrorist cell, and were kind of insurgents against the Romans. Mm. Uh, and when you look at the followers of Jesus, he had representatives from all of the above. Wow. Yes. So that's a short history of the intertestamental period. Thanks for being a part of the Faith FM family. Join our community on Facebook or get in touch at 1-800-FAITH-FM.